Hello and welcome to the CFB Winning Edge podcast. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. You can find me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. And I'm joined by my friendos, Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, and Xavier Trish. You can follow him on the Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, and at CFB Winning Edge for Nick. Nick, um, man, what a year this last week has been, right? <laughs> for real. I mean, it's like we, we hung up last week and the world pretty much completely changed. And uh, it's been a while since we spoke. It, it feels like a year. Xavier, are you, uh, I mean, has much changed for you? Are you pretty status quo here? What's going on with you? Uh, currently just staying at home and playing video games. Life is pretty sweet at the moment. Yeah. Can't really complain too much. Yeah, so. I mean, that's not a bad option, right? Uh, stay at home <laughs> and play video games. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's getting weird out there. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff is shutting down, but, you know, this gathering is of 10 or, or less people. So I think we're okay <laughs> right here. So we're going to keep we're, talking. We're... Uh, go, spread go ahead. about as big a triangle as I think exists in the United States as well. So we're we're definitely keeping six feet apart. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So uh, yeah, we're doing proper social distancing and uh, <laughs> proper isolation and uh, quarantining and all that good stuff. So, uh, but we're here to talk about uh, some college football. And uh, if you guys didn't know. Uh, spring, all spring games have been canceled at this point. All spring sports for college have been canceled. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I know it really impacts news, I think, more than anything. And working a couple of depth charty position battles out, Nick, but how much does spring practice actually matter? Well, I've, I've sort of been thinking about that question, and I, and I think back to uh, long ago, my playing days and, and a little more recently, my coaching days and, and spring practice, it, it mattered. But I think in the grand scheme of things, uh, the, the I mean, the not really very much, honestly, it's, it's sort of hard to quantify. But I think you're right. The depth chart. I mean, coaches want to get a good look at what they have to work with for the upcoming season. And, and as I was going through and, and doing some updates in our team profiles, I was trying to think of, of the biggest positions that might have, or, or, you know, the positions that might have the biggest impact from not, uh, having spring practice and sure there's, you know, new, new quarterback situations, working on chemistry with receivers and things like that. But I think for the most part, what I'm tuned into in spring practice is like what the, the, starting lineup looks like on the offensive line because just about everybody is going to be replacing at least one piece. There are only a handful of teams every year that return all five starters on the offensive line. And, and, you know, usually it's very rare for a team to get through a season with all five starters on the offensive line. So building sort of cohesion within that group and, and it's sort of, uh, the most, the position where I think we see the most, uh, position changes, you know, a guy who might've been the starting right guard the last two years, uh, it's conceivable in certain situations that he is the guy at left tackle and, and sort of when I'm going through and trying to figure out what the lineups are in our team profiles, pretty much if a guy was starting right guard, I'm going to pencil him in at, at right guard for the next year. So that's sort of the news item that I'm mostly looking 
for. I mean, I, you know, I, I of course want to see uh, so-and-so is in the best shape of his life and this receiver burn this corner and all that sort of stuff. But that's mostly where my, I guess, fact gathering is, is, is along the offensive line and, and sort of the way our numbers work, oddly enough, that's almost maybe the least important because I haven't completely figured out uh, the right way to, to do production points for the offensive line. I, I weight experience pretty heavily, you know, returning starters uh, and, and starts get the most production points, sort of the way I have it set up right it's kind now. kind of their so, only stat, you know, uh, yeah, unless you're going to PFF and looking at grades and stuff. And I know they don't grade ex- as extensively as they do for the NFL. So uh, that's probably the best data you have right now, right? Right. Yeah, and 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 oddly enough, experience on the offensive line is one of the least correlated things as far as returning production goes. So it's it's you know it's it's not a perfect situation regardless. But uh, I think in the in the grand scheme, especially with pretty much everybody on the same, uh, uh, it it hit almost everybody at the same time. I mean, there were two teams that got all the way through spring practice. There were a handful of teams that maybe got a few days, maybe a week or two uh, worth of practice. But for the most part, this hit everybody uh, right around the first week of practice or before they got started. So everybody should be working from a fairly you know, even playing field. So I think as, as long as there aren't just huge discrepancies as to who got 15 practices and who got zero. I, I don't think we're going to see a huge impact. And, and I'm sure that, you know, the NCAA and the, the powers that be are going to figure out uh, ways once all this is, is behind us. And we certainly don't want to make light of anything, but eventually, of course. you know, we'll be able to, to, to move on and, and think about football uh, more on a, a regular basis. And, and when that time comes, I'm sure they'll figure out, you know, maybe a couple extra weeks of fall camp or, or, what have you. So I don't think we're going to see a huge difference. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that spring practice matters all that much. I think just from a, the biggest things, you know, team building camaraderie within, you know, uh, within a locker room, things like that. I, I think uh, that's the, the biggest part is sort of turning the page from 2019 to 2020 as a team, as a unit uh, spring helps with that summer, I think really probably helps with that. Even what do you think coaches so that, are doing right now, Nick? Like, well, what do you, what do you think their process is at this point? What, what would, I guess, what would uh, coach Nick be doing right now? If you were in this spot? <laughs> uh, well, I, I think, and I've, I've been reading, there've been a few uh, stories out there of, of reporters, you know, calling up coaches and, and figuring out uh, sort of what they are doing. And I think that is, kind of the the case is, is coaches are trying to figure it out. They're probably putting together um, workout plans if they hadn't already to send it, you know, email or video uh, to players to say, Hey, if you, if you have the ability to do these things, this is a workout regimen. If you've only got body weight as a, a you know, the only thing you, you've got to work with here, are some things you can do uh, things like that. I know nutrition is a major issue um you know dining halls are closed obviously so players probably aren't getting uh the healthiest food they can get and and not every player is able you know has the the financial means on their own to to go out and get 
the healthiest things. And, and right now with social distancing and all that, I mean, you'd want to limit uh, trips out and, and things like that uh, as well. So I think just sort of little things like that are, are what coaches are probably worried about with their team. I think they're probably putting a lot of time in uh, recruiting. I know there've been some limitations on things that can be done right now, but uh, I think they're probably, you know, as soon as electronic communication is allowed, I'm sure there's quite a bit of that. And, and, you know, some of the college football news, the main college football news we've seen over the last week has been guys committing and, and things like that. So that's probably a lot of it. Player evaluation, watching a lot of recruiting, uh, highlight tapes and film and things like that. And, and I'm sure there's, you know, some projects that uh, looking ahead to uh, competition next year, teams on the horizon, you know, self-scout. They've already got all that stuff taken care of from last year. But I'm sure they're, you know, diving into different sort of analytical projects. What a, you know, they're, they're probably digging in a little bit more so earlier on the nitty gritty of, you know, this is what so-and-so does on third down, you know, third and seven, that, that sort of stuff. So that probably, that timeline probably has accelerated a little bit, but I would imagine a lot of, a lot of film, you know, probably some, uh, Skype chats with other, uh, you know, the, the rest of the coaching staff and, and, uh, trying to, you know, uh, keep a, an, an ear out on what players are doing to to make the most use of the time that they've got available. Xavier, what are your thoughts on, you know, what's going on right now with the coaches and how much spring practice matters and all that stuff? Yeah, so right now, first and foremost, as a coach, you have to focus on recruiting. Um, you know, they paused on traditional recruiting ventures as far as traveling is concerned, like visits um, and trips like that. But right now you have to focus on being able to mobile recruit. And I know that's not very easy for a lot of coaches, as a lot of coaches like to be in person, uh, but over the phone, text messaging, just making sure people are okay and kind of just staying around, sticking around like that is the best way to go. As far as actual spring practice is concerned, I don't think it's that big of a deal for a lot of the players who are returning, as in spring practice is really just a time for you to stretch your legs, get back out there. It's been a long layover since they last played a football game. And it's just a good time to get out there and get the rust off and, you know, dust off some of the cobwebs. Um, and, and But who it is big for is those guys who early enroll. Uh, those guys are going to be missing out on a lot of uh, physical reps with quarterbacks with receivers or defenders uh, in the scheme and learning how to do it, you know, and building that muscle memory going into the fall. They're going to miss out on a lot. However, right now for the players, it's really about building up those mental reps, learning the playbook like the back of your hand. You know, with all of this downtime, it's no time ever that you've had this much downtime to where you can really learn and ask as many questions as you possibly want about the playbook, about the setups and all of that stuff. Uh, so for guys like Spencer Rattler, who is, is its first uh, year as a starter, asking those questions um, in meetings and in conversations with the quarterbacks coach and also um, former quarterbacks who are also sitting down like Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield to just ask them questions and pick their brains on some things before the season starts. It's a really good time for them to get those mental reps in. Yeah. I like that specifically about, you know, uh, maybe going to guys that have graduated and talking to them and picking their brains as well. So, I mean, look this year, there's going to be no excuses to not know where to line up. You know what I mean? And, uh, (laughs) when you're supposed to be on the field and not and all that stuff. So I think we could see, Nick, are you afraid of a little sloppiness at the beginning of the season because of so much missed practice time and stuff like that? I I think that's possible. Um, I think that, 
uh, Xavier made a great point about, you know, early enrollees and things like that. I mean, those guys, part of the reason why they uh, got to campus early was to to get in the swing of things and, and uh, hopefully maybe compete for early playing time. And, and this, you know, sort of ends that opportunity. I forget who I was talking to uh, or who I was listening uh, talk about it earlier, but a uh, situation at, at Alabama is, you know, that that quarterback battle where uh, Mac Jones had, you know, good experience last year, sort of a silver lining from uh, Tua Tungavailoa's injury. He was able to get some uh, playing time, but I, I fully expected Bryce Young, the, the five-star uh, incoming true freshman early enrollee to, if not be the game one starter, you know, be able to close the gap uh, pretty quickly and, and eventually take over. I expected Young to, to probably end up, you know, starting more games than Jones, maybe be in a situation like we saw similar to uh, Trevor Lawrence at Clemson a couple of years ago, where uh, after four games, he was uh, basically by that point, it had proven he was, uh, you know, gave them the best chance to win. I, I saw a similar situation as, as a, you know, pretty high likelihood, I thought. But uh, this, you know, not having spring practice, not being able to get in and get those reps probably gives Mac Jones a little bit more of a head start than he had already. So, you know, there are some situations like that where I think it does actually have an impact on, you know, who we might see and when on the field next year. Uh, but I think as far as just the, you know, the, the grand scheme, it, it's probably not that big a deal, but, uh, they're probably, I think you're right. Unless we see an extended fall camp, um, I think there will be maybe a little more sloppiness than we're used to, but you know, we'll yeah. see how it shakes out. Yeah. And that's probably just going to be, uh, you know, the case for the NFL as well. And, uh, you know, a lot of other sports uh, getting back. I mean, you know, baseball is going to have to ramp up uh, with some type of a spring training. I'm assuming they're just going to stick to, uh, you know, inner, you know, inner roster games and all that kind of stuff um, and, and having the pitchers work on, uh, you know, their pitch counts and stuff like that behind closed doors. Uh, and we may even still see the season, um, you know, uh have no fans and, and that kind of stuff. So we'll see how all this uh, pans out. A couple other newsy things. Uh, Trey Sermon announced his intention to transfer. He, of course, suffered the ACL last season at Oklahoma. So uh, apparently Ohio State is an early speculative favorite. Uh, that would be interesting to see him move. Appalachian State defensive lineman Elijah. Oh, man, I'm going to try this here. Uh, Suba, uh, I'm going to say Diara Suba, uh, now Seamus yeah, medically retired. That's a good effort, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like a B minus. <laughs> There's no way that's it, but you know, uh, I was saying Albert Aquabunum for three years and, uh, then he goes to the combine and it's Quabanon all of a sudden. So who oh, knows, man. you know, uh, and that may be wrong. I don't know which one's right. So, uh, until I hear him say it, I'm just not going to listen to anybody. Um, he's Albert O and this is Elijah D. Yeah. So, um, he was, uh, you know, a good senior. He started 25 games, but unfortunately he has to medically retire a uh, Brown university named Heather Marini as it's uh, new QB coach on Monday. And she becomes the first female position position coach in division one college football. 
that was good to see. Uh, the NAIA is moving forward uh, with its own name, image, and light, uh, likeness legislation. So we may get uh, a NCAA, you know, NAI, uh, a game. Is it NAIA or is it NA1A? I always screw I that up. IA, that's what I And so maybe we'll get a video game for that. I mean, I don't know how many uh, copies that would sell, but it would probably sell a ton <laughs> because it's the first college game out, right, Nick? Yeah, you know, it might. I, I'd probably take a look, especially if EA Sports uh, did it, and it might be uh, you know sort of a uh, way that they were able to uh, get get their machine back up and rolling again whenever the NCAA came around or the individual conferences or schools or, or whatever. But, you know... Purely speculation, of course, but it would be fun if they put a game out under the NAIA, you know, name, but then maybe snuck in a, uh, you know, create a school, make your own conference, that sort of thing, and then people would go out and customize it for all the, all the current uh, uh, NCAA Division One FBS teams, all, all that sort of stuff. But uh, as someone that did, uh, you know, a little bit of sp- uh, stats and, and was a spotter at Montana tech for a couple of years, uh, earlier this decade, I, I would like to, to play a little frontier conference football and, you know, those arch rivals, Montana tech and Carroll college out there in, uh, big sky country. It, it would be fun. It'd be fun for a little bit. Calling it the, the frontier makes it sound like it's a Oregon trail, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know why. Southern, Southern, Oregon, Southern, Southern Oregon was really good. I don't know if they still are. <laughs> I mean, Xavier, you're our uh, resident uh, video game expert here. Would you uh, drop some money and play an NAIA game? It would definitely make a splash. Um, so many people missed NCAA that I think at this point they'd be clamoring for anything that's relatively near that. So NAIA would be fun to see. Uh, I definitely would be ecstatic being a former NAIA player, playing for Faulkner for two years, to be able to play, to be able to create myself and put myself back into college without having to physically go back. Perfect. Uh, you know, so I think it would sell well, especially with NCAA not being out. Um, yeah, I think anybody would want to buy the game at this point. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I we're getting a lot on. Um... Oh God! What is it? It's not. It's the competition of Madden. Who's making that game, oh, Xavier? Oh, two K coming. So, yeah, two so K just signed. Two yeah. K just signed with um, the NFL. But it can't through... be a simulation game, so it can't be anything real. So it, it, it yes. a lot of people are saying that it's going to be a blitz style game and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, and people are getting excited about that. So I don't know why people wouldn't be at least a little excited for an NAIA game. Now, can we have mm-hmm. realistic, like 17 people crowds and stuff like that? Nick, do you think that's possible? <laughs> you know, we, we would just have to see. We'd have to see. <laughs> well, you I know, mean, you know, the, if they were playing right now, it'd be full. So it'd be the only game in right. town. If, so. it, if it was out tomorrow, it would sell quite, quite well. I think. Yeah, exactly. Maybe they need to ramp up on that. Get it out in the next couple months for sure. Um, Nick, you did uh, CFF rankings already, didn't you? Yeah, our, our friend uh, John Lobb uh, invited me. I think I took over your spot, actually, if I, when I was going back and looking at yes. the previous mm-hmm. uh, previous rankings. So John must have been desperate. Yeah, he reached out and <laughs> uh, asked, asked uh, for me to, to put together 
Uh, my top 12 uh, for quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, then a top five for tight ends, defenses, and uh, kickers. And, and so that was fun. I, I had, uh, you know, been jotting down some notes as I'd been going through and updating all of the uh, team profile information and, and stuff like that. So uh, it, it wasn't completely out of the blue, but I hadn't really been able to dive into CFF stuff at length yet. And uh, I had been getting, uh, of course, the Patreon emails from Mike Bainbridge, our friend who was also uh, one of the others that, that John got together uh, with uh, Zach Hall and Justin Heisey, again, another colleague of yours. And uh, it, it was fun to, to dive into that a little bit and see what those guys thought and where we differed. And uh, it, it's CFF, I, I caught the bug for sure uh, last year, thanks in large part to you and, and excited about offering more CFF content for our our patrons and, and just, you know, in general and being involved in more leagues and stuff. It's uh, definitely a lot of fun. So it was good to good to get back into that a little bit this so, week. So the, these, it's funny, uh, you did one thing different than I, I uh, would have done, which I believe I refused to do kicker rankings last year. <laughs> I was like, John, I'm not doing it. Wow, I, I, I no refuse. Love. So, uh, but, but, but you did them now, um, this isn't a CFF podcast, so I don't want to dive too deep into it. Cause I'm sure at some point, uh, you know, we'll get you on somewhere to talk some CFF, whether it's on, you know, my Sean F and TSY or my ITL one or my one on fan tracks and you go to, this is on fan tracks, this, this article, uh, for everybody that wants to see it. Uh, but I, I guess my question is, is what were the surprises when you were making your list or even looking at someone else's list, uh, when, you know, w- what jumped out to you that you didn't expect when you were putting your rankings together? Um, it, it, it was a little bit of a surprise how we all agreed in large part that there wasn't very much variety in the quarterback rankings, at least for like the first five. Um, pretty much for the most part, everybody had some combination of Justin Fields, Sam, Ur- uh, Sam Erlinger, uh, Spencer Rattler. Everybody else was higher on him than I am. I, I, I certainly, this is why we're friends. <laughs> well, I, I certainly <laughs> believe in Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley and he's, you know, done such great things with quarterbacks, but I, I'm just, it's tough for me to trust, He's an unknown. you know, a first time guy right out of the gate. Uh, but I'm sure he's going to do do great. But uh, uh, I, I was a little bit surprised that we were so much in lockstep, I guess. A lot of us in the, in the, the quarterback rankings, there's a little more variety in some of the other positions, I guess, is understandable. You know, the sort of the receivers, there's so many of them that there's probably going to be more variety there than, than just about anywhere. But um, I don't know. Not, nothing necessarily jumped out too much. Uh, maybe that I was the only one who had Adrian Martinez in, in the top 10. I, I guess I am the only one that just hasn't completely abandoned uh, Adrian Martinez as a, a potential, you know, star type quarterback. I know he certainly underachieved last year, but you know why um, you're the only one. I, I have a theory on this and I think it's because right. everybody jumped back in on Khalil Tate last year and he was terrible. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think I think people are doing kind of the overcorrection because they got torched last year. So that that's my I mean, I don't have any evidence towards that, but that would be my guess. 
So that makes a certain amount of sense. That makes that's sense. not a terrible guess. Yeah. Yeah. So any, anything else on your rankings that you were surprised by? Uh, not, not necessarily. I mean, I, I, I am sure that, uh, as more people, you know, look toward 2020, uh, things will start to, uh, I don't know, fall in line a little bit more. I don't know if that if that makes sense. Not that there were a huge variety in, in all of us anyway, but it is good to see some variety. Uh, some of the, the probably the most fun thing might have been John asked everybody for a, a big time sleeper. So we got five different uh, names there that, that was kind of interesting, one of which uh, Xavier would appreciate. Uh, Mike mentioned uh, Destin Coates as his... Uh, yeah. sensational sleeper so georgia state running back uh expects big things out of him mine mine was jabari lewis at army i don't know if you guys have looked at army's uh schedule this year and lewis has taken over at quarterback for uh kelvin hopkins and, and hopefully he'll be able to stay healthy he's got some playing time over the last couple of years but i think i mean their their schedule they play two fcs teams plus UMass, plus UConn. So, I mean, they've got some opportunities there to, to rack up just some huge uh, rushing totals if, uh, if recent history is any indication. But, yeah, anyway, it, it, was, it was fun to, to dive into these and, and uh, think a little bit about CFF and looking forward to doing more as, uh, you know, the, the months ahead of us. Uh, with, with the time we've got over the yeah. next few months, we, we've got we've got plenty of time to get there. That that's for sure. At this point, well, kind of a funny thing though is you know, I don't know how much like our time changes. You know what I mean? Like we weren't uh, we're not missing jobs and now sitting at home. It's kind of uh, the same job that we've had. So I don't know how much changes for us. It's just trying to get uh, more stuff done at this point while nothing's going on. It's kind of nerve-wracking mm-hmm. but also some initial point spread projections came out a DraftKings sportsbook in new hampshire was one of several to release a selection of matchups for the 2020 college football season over the weekend on monday cfp winning edge released its early projections uh for the 26 matchups dk in new hampshire had listed uh which games uh are do you have early value on here nick so uh, what what I did, and, and I've been working through our uh, new schedule uh, component of, of the team profile, so had a lot of these already set up uh, to, to take a look at the our early projections, and, and uh, they had three or no, four games for basically the opening week of the season, uh, two of which were among our biggest quote unquote edges at this point. And, and I, I put that in quotes because one, it's still very early. We have a lot of uh, things that will happen between now and then Two, you know, who knows if that game between Notre Dame and Navy is going to be in Dublin in, in August, you know, who knows if the schedule is going to be uh, exactly as it is. But then also uh, when, when I get a big difference between our numbers and the sports books on, on one hand, that's a good thing that shows, you know, Hey, maybe we've, we know something that they don't, but then on the other hand, you think, Oh, well, maybe they know something that we don't. So when I see some huge differences, uh, we've got Notre Dame as a, almost a four touchdown favorite over Navy. And that's, 
you know, almost 11 points off of, of what the current line is. Uh, just before we got on, I noticed that it had moved from uh, 14 and a half when I saw it earlier in the week to 15 and a half. But we've got Notre Dame as a 26 point favorite at this Ooh. point. So that's, you know, that that that's a game that sure, I you know, we see a huge talent edge for Notre Dame. But then on the other hand, you know, Navy uh, oftentimes, uh, especially in, in models like ours, gets sort of underrated because they rank so low in talent rankings and, and experience rankings, things like that, because they have so much turnover from year to year. They also uh, are replacing uh, Malcolm Perry, replacing him with a guy who is, you know, a, a two-star, no-star type quarterback, and that that is going to cause a big swing in their ratings from last year. Uh, to this year, we'll talk more about that. I'm sure when we get to the AAC. But um, so, uh, so I try to to take a game like that or a game like uh, Utah and BYU. We have Utah as a uh, basically a three touchdown favorite. The number that uh, we saw earlier in the week was six and a half. Utah was favored by six and a half. That's dropped three points to three and a half. So the fact that one our number was so different than you know, the professionals, the odds makers, whatever you want to say, uh, to begin with, but then to see the, the line move already three points in the opposite direction that, you know, that's something I'm going to have to consider. I'm going to have to go back and, and you know, uh, of course, I understand Utah lost a ton and they're, they're starting over in the secondary and, and, you know, they lost, uh, their starting quarterback, starting running back, all uh, the offensive line wasn't very good last year. But then on the other hand, I, I look and compare them to, to BYU and BYU's gotten, uh, they've, they've improved in some ways. They have some guys get extra years of eligibility. We've had a lot of injuries and, and things like that, but I, I'm, I'm going to have to dive into that one because we see, you know, over a two touchdown difference in our number and the the odds makers. So I, I'm going to have to look at you know things like that. A lot of the other ones are more in line. Pretty much all everything, but those two, uh, our uh, number is is only uh, 2.68 points off of the odds makers. So that's closer than most of our regular season games were last year. So uh, it's just those first two that just really jump out like a sore thumb. But, um, you know, on the one hand, maybe we see an edge that that they didn't on those games, but it also gives me pause a little bit and it's going to make me dive back in (laughs) those games specifically. But, you know, uh, matchups between a power five and non-power five are always, uh, those have given us a little bit of trouble in the past. So I'm going to try to learn from these numbers and, and see if there are some tweaks I might be able to make to uh, sort of understand if there's something I'm missing. But uh, on the other hand, you know, maybe maybe uh, we just see those games uh, so much different for a reason. My initial thought uh, on specifically Notre Dame uh, not being as big a line as possible, I feel like, um, you know, there are a lot of Notre Dame fans out there that will just bet on Notre Dame kind of regardless of what the line is. But I think there are even more people, and I believe Xavier will back me up on this, that despise Notre Dame. So I think that if, if, you, <laughs> if you look at the line and it looks like it's something that's big, but maybe within a strikeable, I mean, you know, two touchdowns, a little over two touchdowns is, you know, that's a couple bounces in a game, um, mm-hmm. you know, 
I know it's big in terms of what you would normally look at, but your average better looking at something like that and going, yeah, you know, I could see where Navy breaks this. Maybe they get a fumble recovery for a touchdown or something like that. Now all of a sudden they're losing by, you know, eight or nine instead of 15 and a half. I think there are so many people like that. It's like why the Cowboys are almost always favored, you know, is because, um, the Cowboys are almost always favored because Cowboy fans will bet them regardless of what the line is, plus, minus, up, down, doesn't matter. Plus, so many people despise the Cowboys, they will bet against them. So I think that might be uh, sports books in Vegas and all those places, um, you know, just kind of reading the people uh, more than reading the actual line. So I think that might be what part of that is the other ones uh i don't, I don't really know i i would have to dig in like, like you are so but i'll leave i'll leave the digging to you nick so uh you, sure. you can dig in on that but we've got uh head coach uh rankings offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator rankings now available for all 130 teams too i'm sure that was just like a quick five minute process right nick <laughs> well we talked about it a little bit last week and, and uh, had released the head coach uh, ratings and, and the offensive coordinator and was finishing up the defensive coordinators. Uh, but they're all, they're all done. Uh, did a, uh, a new uh, formula, I think is better. Uh, went back and was able to get my hands on some data to give me uh, team performance ratings uh, for every team for offense, defense, special teams, and overall all the way back to 2005 so that I was able to, to use those and, you know, for all the head coaches, was able to, to go out and, and get those team performance ratings, assuming they were an FBS head coach. Uh, had to do a little bit of tweaking if they were an FCS head coach or first-time head coach, all that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, for offensive coordinators, was able to dive into those offensive-specific ratings. And if they were uh, a play caller or, or, you know, if a head coach was a play caller, that factored in and, and things like that. So I think those are a little sharper uh, at this point than they have been in the past. Feel good about those and, and glad that they're available now for, for all our patrons and, and factor into our uh, overall team strength power ratings. Uh, I think, think that was a, a nice improvement. And if that's not enough, what's on the horizon? <laughs> what are you working on now, Nick? Well, I said just a little bit ago, finalizing the uh, schedules and, and the sort of matchups that we've got now. I, I uh, have it. I, I basically have set it up to where we have four different schedule pieces, one of which uh, shows you our projected point spread for every game on that team's schedule. But then I went through and also did uh, offense versus defense, sort of how the offensive roster strength and the uh, starter recruiting ratings uh, average compared to the opponent's defense and vice versa. Uh, and then I've been working on sort of a way to, to quantify just a, an overall talent edge. Uh, last year, I did a weekly column for MajorWager.com where I went through and, and uh, showed, you know, this, this team is an underdog, but... They have a higher average 247 rating for their entire roster. They have a higher roster strength uh, rating according to our numbers and, and things like that. So I was trying to boil all that down into one number and show uh, teams that actually just have an overall talent edge. So those are still in progress, still under construction, but hopefully by the end of the week, all that will be figured out and we'll have uh, numbers on talent edges. We'll have projected point spreads for every 
uh, game on the schedule and, and uh, a lot of good stuff there. So something to look forward to if you're a patron. All right. Are you guys ready to dive into the AAC here? Let's do it. All right. Taking a look at the AAC from 2019, we had, of course, UCF 10 and 3. Uh, a little bit of a disappointment, Nick, even though, uh, you know, 10 and 3 and first in the AAC, uh, 20th ranked overall. Um, what, did, what did you think about uh, U- UCF uh, for 2019? So we had them projected as the favorite in every game last year. And, and uh, so thought that they had a good chance of going undefeated in the regular season again, but there were a few toss up games in there. We actually only projected them to win nine games on average. So they, they hit that as far as their season win total, but they still were uh, certainly a disappointment. And, And oddly enough though, they ended the season as our highest rated AAC team, which uh, probably a lot of people out there might disagree with. Of course, Memphis was very good. Uh, Cincinnati was very good. Uh, And and so it's understandable to think that UCF was uh, the third best team if, if, you know, if that, but they were a top 20 team at at the end of the year, according to our numbers, their defense was uh, vastly, I think, underappreciated. They, they did a lot of really, really good things on defense. And then of course, uh, offenses was pretty pretty good as well. Dylan Gabriel, true freshman that pretty much nobody expected uh, to be the starter or, or even really get any playing time, uh, played quite well, had uh, 10 production points over the course of the year uh, just based on the, the individual uh, numbers he was able to put up. So I think UCF is, uh, uh, you know, a little bit of a, a disappointment, but uh, um, they're well-positioned uh, for 2020. Get Mackenzie Milton back too. Uh, gonna be hope so. Exactly. Hope so. Uh, I I saw him throwing. He looked good. You know. I mean, it was just a little clip, but it's one of those things where you're like, hey, look at that. We mm-hmm. like that for sure. Uh, Xavier, what about Memphis? They ranked twenty uh, fifth overall, first in the West. Uh, they were twelve and two last season. Uh, damn good year for Memphis. In a year that we thought maybe they would lose a little bit because Darrell Henderson was gone. Right but they really were a fun team to watch last year. I thought that barring the loss to Temple last year, they were what they were one of, if not the best G5 team uh, throughout the year. Um, obviously losing Mike Norvell in the offseason is not going to be easy. Replacing the guy like that who built the program, not from necessarily the ground up, but really did a good job of player management and player growth. Uh, losing a guy like that, it's never going to be easy going into the next year, um, but they can definitely be confident going into uh, next year from the players on the field that they have returning uh, Memphis, man, they were a fun team. And honestly, they played really, the, the score doesn't show it, but they played really well against Penn state in the cotton bowl last year. Um, at times looking like the better team, um, obviously losing by 14, it looks, doesn't look all appealing. Uh, but no, Memphis was a great team last year. And I think going into uh, the season coming up should be one of the favorites once again, to finish atop the conference. How about I know Navy? I got a little ahead of myself. No, no, I, I maybe not. We'll see. Uh, Navy, uh, Nick, uh, they finished at eleven and two as well, uh, twenty nine overall. Pretty, pretty good season for them too. Oh, absolutely. They were my biggest surprise. I mean, we had Navy uh, favored in only three games, only one conference game last year. Uh, we did, of course, they, you know, a lot of those were, were close and, and had them projected to win about five and a half games on average. So thought that they could compete for a bowl game, but, but based on the just horrific 
defense that they played in 2018 did not see a double digit win uh you know double digit winning season did not see them competing for the west division championship and and uh so they you know huge defensive turnaround uh made made just uh, uh, an incredible turnaround from their 2018 to 2019 and our numbers i mentioned it briefly earlier are just they're going to discount a team like navy that that as far as overall roster strength is deep into the triple digits most years i mean malcolm perry helped because uh he was a, a you know a high 90s player in the preseason last year ended up as a 100 rated player when all was said and done and and that's you know going to going to help for sure but uh we just you know based on their their roster talent uh, didn't didn't expect very much of them, and then coming off a bad year, the, the previous year, Ken Niamatololo's head coach rating uh, took a little bit of a hit as well, and, and of course he's been able to to boost that, and he's uh, one of the most highly respected coaches in really all of college football, but certainly at the uh, G5 level and and in the AAC. So I think he'll have them competitive again uh, this next year. It'll be difficult, especially with Perry gone, and and they've lost uh, a couple of their uh, high high end uh, defensive players have actually announced that they will be transferring uh, this spring. So that's certainly a, a hit, and they always have to replace a lot of starters, a lot of experience each year. But they also recruit, you know, sixty guys a year. So uh, there there are uh, players capable of stepping up and, and uh, filling those roles, and they've got a system, well oiled machine offensively especially so uh they'll be dangerous as always but uh last year certainly was was a great year uh xavier cincinnati uh way better than our expectations for 2019 Mm -hmm. finished 11 and 3 7 and 1 in the aac just a fantastic year uh for the bearcats yeah, and you and you genuinely feel like if Cincinnati had been healthy at the quarterback position all year, it might have been even more. It even it might have been better for them. Um, you know, you look at that game against Memphis, the first time that they played them on the road, and you felt like without their starting quarterback, they didn't just look. They didn't look themselves. Um, and even the following week, when they got their starting quarterback back, he didn't look all the way healthy yet. So it it felt like they were playing hobbled in both games. So we don't even know what this uh, Cincinnati team could have been. Um, you know, and going into next year. You got to think with him coming with their starting quarterback back and a defense that was so good last year for the most part. You know, their only games giving up more than 30 points were against Memphis on the road and East Carolina, which is so weird. Um, and also Ohio State, but it's Ohio State. This Cincinnati defense brings back so much talent that you can only expect them to reach the same heights as they did last year, at least be close to that. You know, I'm 10 wins, you know, 11 wins, maybe stretching it, but 10 wins at the bare minimum. Uh, for a Cincinnati team that played well past our expectations, but was a very exciting team and defensively was an outstanding team last year. Uh, Nick, SMU, uh, the last team in the AAC into double-digit wins at 10-3, and three, um, just so good. Uh, what a great year for the Mustangs, right? Yeah, and, and so you mentioned it briefly that, that – Cincinnati ended up so much better than our projection. Uh, that was a, a, one of the biggest black eyes for, for me last year was that we were so low 
on Cincinnati had them losing a lot of uh, toss-up games. SMU was kind of the the opposite, where uh, I felt really good about our projection because we were higher on SMU than just about anybody that I saw, uh, and they even overachieved our expectations getting to, to 10 wins. So they used the transfer portal really, really well. Uh, Shane Bouchelle came in, uh, did some really good things at the quarterback position. They were as explosive as you would expect a Sunny Dykes uh, team to be offensively, and and they you know did some good things at times on defense as well. And and uh, again, they've hit the the transfer portal for 2020, getting a lot of guys that uh, left the Dallas Fort Worth uh, metroplex area uh, to you know play a year or two somewhere else, didn't work out, decide to to come back home, and and you know a lot of SEC guys, a lot of Big 12 guys, uh, former four-star, high three-star type players where it just didn't work out elsewhere, get a second chance at SMU. They, they've sort of found a way, uh, not sure if it's uh, you know sustainable forever, but um, it, it uh, worked well last year, got off to an incredibly hot start and ended up, uh, you know, overall being a, a very, very successful season. I felt good about it because we expected them to, you know, win eight games, have a winning record in in the division. Uh, quite the opposite uh, compared to Cincinnati, who, who I wish we were uh, higher on last year. But, you know, get some right and, and miss some as well. Yeah, and uh, the rest of the teams here in the AAC, Temple finished 8-5. and five. Uh, we had uh, Tulane at seven and six. Those are the last couple teams over five hundred overall. USF four and eight, East Carolina four and eight, uh, four and eight for Houston and Tulane or Tulsa, excuse me, as well. And then UConn, of course, uh, two and ten. <laughs> poor John, poor our, our buddy John Lobb. Uh, you know UConn, uh, big big UConn fan, and they just can never seem uh, to put it together for him. Which one of those was most disappointing? I think it probably has to be USF, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, looking at our, our preseason numbers from last year, uh, as far as our, our team strength goes, in the preseason, we had USF and Cincinnati ranked 51st and 52nd. And, uh, but the projected win-loss, just based on who they were favored against, we actually had USF favored in 10 games, Cincinnati favored in only five. And then I really wish we had had that flipped because uh, USF had a very manageable schedule. They had a really talented roster. Similar to SMU, they had you know quite a few transfers, former uh, Power 5 players that, that went off somewhere else, came back home to Florida, a lot of them, and, and uh, just it didn't work out. Didn't work out for Charlie Strong. Wasn't able to, to kind of keep them competitive in the American and, and they really almost fell off a cliff uh, last year. I think they were certainly the most disappointing. Houston was disappointing, but uh, almost for a different it reason, just because they had the, uh, they had the, the strange, uh, you know, guys sitting out redshirt, the De'Aaron King situation and, and things like that. So uh, different, different reasons maybe for disappointing, a little more understandable, I guess at Houston, even though it was weird, but USF, in my opinion, was was the biggest disappointment. Xavier, are you on board with that? Is USF as the the biggest disappointment in the AAC? Absolutely, because at least with Houston, they had kind of an excuse. They lose their best player, and Derek King deciding to sit out after a couple of games. With USF, me and Nick both looked at each other after the first two three weeks, and we were like, "Uh oh, 
this team could be really bad. Um, and we weren't wrong. Um, and, and it's <laughs> unfortunate. Because, it's unfortunate because when you when you get a team like this that we really thought had an opportunity to to challenge for the top of their conference, and they finish with four wins, losing to teams like Georgia Tech, you're left with your hands and with your your face in your hands. It's, it's really a, 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 not, a not a great move. Nope. Yeah, <laughs> this is bad on all fronts. Um, all right. Well, let's let's go into the outlook for 2020. But uh, before we jump in, uh, you know, obviously we had divisions last year. We had the East and the West. And this season, uh, it, it's there's no divisions because we lost a team. UConn is just gone now. And apparently Bixby thinks I'm talking to it. Um, uh, but anyway, UConn is gone now. So, Nick, explain to us what what went on with UConn. Were they eliminated? Uh, is this the Hunger Games? We're going to get down <laughs> to one team in the AAC in the next 11 years? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, now an FBS independent. Uh, I, I don't know uh, details, but it uh, has a lot to do with their basketball history. I wanted to get back to the Big East and, and uh, made more sense. You know, the, the power brokers felt it made more sense to uh, join the Big East again for basketball. And that, of course, left them uh, without an affiliation in football in the AAC, I, I think, if I understand correctly, uh, just wasn't open to them being a football-only member. So UConn decided to go independent, and, and uh, uh, that is uh, – a bit tricky, going to be a bit tricky. We've seen some of the lower level independent teams uh, have some difficulty scheduling. You, you, there's really, it seems no middle ground. You, you can get games against, uh, you know, elite teams. A lot of times power five, high end power five teams. And then you can get games against the UMasses, which is already sort of a natural rival for UConn, but uh, New Mexico state and, and the other independents that, that have a difficult time, uh, getting games scheduled, especially late in the year when everybody else is in conference play. So it'll be interesting to see what ends up uh, happening for them. It, it's probably not, you know, uh, based on the transfer numbers, of course, they, they're well documented, have had over 20 guys enter the transfer portal. It's probably going to be, uh, things might get worse before they get better. But uh, for the rest of the conference, you know, it, it, they don't get to play UConn anymore. So yeah. uh, not necessarily great for, uh, some of those teams, but you know, we're, we're, we saw it a few years ago or the big 12, uh, downsized, not, not for their own, uh, desires, but went, uh, away from divisions. And now we're seeing it again with the AAC. So, uh, you know, it's interesting to see a little bit different standings leaderboard and, and sort of see how things shake out. Uh, I think overall, you know, uh, all apologies to John, but I, I'm probably not going to miss UConn very much. Uh, How dare watching you? The, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. They're they're one of my closest teams. I guess so. Maybe, yeah, maybe I, I guess if you could <laughs> if you could rent a helicopter to get through all the snow to get to a game, you could uh, you could eventually get there. I mean, I know it's pretty snowy up in that area, but uh, it's going to be interesting interesting to see. I mean, you know. Uh, like you just said, uh, all the teams are missing that that UConn bye week now, so uh, it, it's going to be That's difficult. Tough. Wow. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, come on. You know, it it doesn't mean they're going to be a bye week forever, but uh, this year and in most recent years, they were a bye week. Now they weren't in basketball. We all know that. So 
uh, basketball, they have an incredible program. But you know, not not every team can be good at everything, and UConn was specifically not great at football. But uh, let's let's talk about what we got on the docket for this year. So uh, I'm just gonna kind of go through the rankings here, tell you about the starters return. We got a lot of QBs coming back. In fact, the only two teams that don't have starting QBs coming back are Tulane and Navy. Uh, so obviously those guys gone. Every other team in this conference has their starting QB back or a QB with experience. We've got a lot of returners on uh, both sides of the football for these top teams. UCF has nine returners on defense, eight on offense, including the QB, uh, eight defensive returns for Memphis, eight for Cincinnati, uh, six and seven on defense and offense for SMU. Tulane has seven returners. Houston has eight, uh, including Toon, and then six on defense. Uh, Navy's got six on both sides, uh, eight on offense uh, for Temple, seven for USF, nine for Tulsa, and six for East Carolina. And uh, the rankings are as such right now. UCF, highest-ranked AAC team, uh, 14 overall, first in this conference. Uh, Memphis, second and 26. Uh, Cincinnati, three and 43. SMU, four and 47. Those are all the teams that are in the top Fifty here, and then we move to a gap between um, fifty-six and seventy-three between Tulane, Houston, Navy, and Temple, and then we've got the bottom dwellers. USF, obviously, uh, you know we think they're bottom dwellers, so we know uh, they'll win ten to eleven games this year, right, Nick? Of course, uh, Tulsa is down there in East Carolina, unfortunately. Good on offense, you know, good for some CFF. East Carolina usually is, but not good uh, as far as betting on. So, uh, Nick, your initial thoughts on a 2020 AAC preview. Well, I I think for the first time in in a few years, UCF might be underrated by uh, the rest of the cup, you know, college football viewing public. Uh, They're a top 15 team in our numbers, which is basically unheard of. And, you know, we don't have a long history at CFB Winning Edge, but in the last three years, we've never had a, a, a G5 team come in in the top 20, let alone the top 15. So UCF is is very good. They're very talented. Uh, they actually rank uh, 35th overall in roster strength, but uh, they rank highly, you know, Josh Heupel is, is done very well as a head coach. He's got a 90 plus rating and, and he's only been there a couple of years, but he's, he's one. And, and, you know, they've been very, very good on offense. Uh, they have, uh, like I said earlier, their, their defense last year was underappreciated, was very, very good. And they return the most defensive uh, starters in the league. So I, I think US, or UCF is uh, the early favorite. Uh, if Memphis hadn't, you know, lost Mike Norvell, perhaps they would challenge uh, if, if Norvell was back, they, they would have had another 10 points or so uh, for head coach rating. And, and so that, you know, explains a, a bit of that gap there. But Memphis right there on the edge of the top 25 is, is very, very good for a G5 team. Uh, they bring back one of the highest rated quarterbacks in all the country. Running back Kenneth Gainwell was, uh, you know, basically came out of nowhere and had an excellent, excellent season last year. They've got a lot of their you know, best guys back. They, they do have to replace some key pieces, but uh, there's a very strong foundation there for Memphis. 
Cincinnati's going to be good again. And, and I mentioned last year that we were uh, a little too low on Cincinnati, but I think absolutely they're capable of competing again uh, in you know, uh, there's not a division anymore, but they're they're capable of competing for one of those top two spots to get back into the uh, conference championship game. And, and they do travel to Nebraska uh, in late September, or at least they're scheduled to. And that, you know, certainly is an opportunity for them to, to make, a, uh, you know, some noise on the national stage. But um, the top of the the top of the uh, conference is going to be very interesting, I think, between those three. Uh, I think UCF is the the clear favorite. I'm I'm really very high on them, and and that number actually doesn't even include you know Mackenzie Milton as a potential starter. So if he's able to come back and and be anything close to what he was, if he's able even able to be uh, back on the field, and of course we hope he is, uh, then they would be even more highly rated. So uh, UCF, I think, is is a strong number one and the team to beat. But Memphis and Cincinnati both bring a lot back and both of them will challenge. And, and SMU is is right there as well, uh, just inside the top 50. If, you know, some of those new transfers this year can come in, step in and, and be impact players right away, uh, they're going to be dangerous it- as well. And I don't mean to cut you off, but uh, do you consider it a four-team race, or is this kind of uh, first team to take down U- UCF uh, can, can actually get there? Our, our numbers might suggest that it's a four-team race. I think it's probably a three-team race. I would, I if I were to tier these, I would say UCF is in tier one, Memphis and Cincinnati are in tier two, and, and SMU is in tier three. Uh, there, there's you know, those four seem like the only ones truly capable of winning the league to me. I, I wouldn't be absolutely shocked if SMU won it. I would be shocked if anybody else did. So I guess in that way, maybe it's a, a four-team race, but I think it's a pretty long shot for SMU. I, I think UCF, Memphis, and Cincinnati are are a clear three with a little bit uh, of a gap between the, the three of those and, and SMU. Xavier, is that your same opinion as far as the top of the AAC goes? Is it kind of, uh, you know, tier one UCF, tier two Memphis and Cincinnati, and then MSU or SMU, excuse me, uh, by themselves in uh, tier three there? Or how, how are you looking at it? I think that we, that UCF is clearing away the favorite. Um, I think that they're just returning too much on both sides of the football. And obviously, we talk about McKenzie Milton coming back at the very least. That's going to be a morale boost for the rest of the team, even uh, even if he isn't the exact same quarterback that he was. Uh, so that's still out to play. And I think Nick's right. I think there is a tier one, tier two, but I would like to throw SMU in that tier two. I don't think that they're alone in the tier three. Um, I think that they can compete with Memphis and Cincinnati for that top for for the second or third place uh, team in the conference. Um, I think when you look at SMU, you look at a team who primarily struggled last year defensively. Obviously, we know about their their game against Tulsa that went into overtime, giving up 37 to one of the worst teams in the conference last year. And I think that those things will be righted coming into this year. They bring back six of those starters from that defense. Um, you know, one year with under their another year under their belt. Hopefully, that they're they're better this year. And that offense is bringing back a lot of talent. I think when you put together a defense who had their struggles but is looking, you know, to 
compete better at the very least coming into the next year. I, I see no reason why SMU can't be along the Memphises and the Cincinnati's going into this season. Um, I think that, you know, those are the two tiers. I think it's UCF and everybody else, essentially. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if a team like SMU sneaks up there. Um, you know, Memphis and Cincinnati are obvious powers um, in this conference, but SMU is a team that can hold their own. I honestly also wouldn't be too surprised if Houston surprises this year. I'm not going to lie. I think Houston is a team that is led by Daniel Hogerson. I think they're a team that they, they will surprise us. I think we're a little bit, we have a little sour taste in our mouth because of what happened last year that we forget that the year before that Houston was a really good ball club. I think Houston can surprise us a little bit. I don't know if they'll finish in the top two or three, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did to us uh, this year what a team like Cincinnati did to us last year where we had them middling of the road, you know, down there closer to the bottom half of the conference, and they just and they decided to play this year and be better than they were last season, um, especially having a year without Derrick King, I think may help more than hurt them um, in a long-term sense. Uh, so I think that we, I wouldn't be surprised if Houston even creeps up there as well. I begrudgingly agree with you uh, <laughs> as far as Houston goes because – uh, you know, look, they're, Holgerson, what he did last year was shady and weird, and he had a bunch of uh, players complaining about him, um, you know, on Twitter and stuff. And, you know, hit the whole thought process kind of backfired, too, where it was, we're going to have De'Aaron King sit for a year so he can come back and play the whole year when our team's better. And then he enters the transfer portal and he's gone to Miami. So, uh, I mean, this next kind of stack here, um, uh, as far as the teams go, Nick, in the AAC, we got Tulane at 56, Houston at 63, Navy at 66, Temple at 73, uh, and then USF and Tulsa, 82 and 86. And then just to round it out, I was going to kind of stop, but just dropping all the way down here is uh, East Carolina. So uh, just your thoughts on the rest of the AAC. Who's most likely to uh, take that jump into one of the tiers with the top teams and uh, what's the outlook on the rest of these squads? Well, I, I agree with you guys. And, and uh, Houston certainly, I think, is capable of, of making a, a large improvement. And, and uh, Clayton Toon getting you know, nine starts last year was certainly uh, a benefit. And you know, he, he brings back a lot of uh, his top receivers. I mean, you know, all, all three starters at wide receiver and the tight end as well are back. Plus, I, I think Keith Corbin was one of those guys that sat out the last eight games or, or whatever. Last I checked, he was still on the roster and, and planning to come back for a senior year. So uh, if he comes back, that would be even a bigger boost. So Houston, I think, is going to be able to do some good things offensively. Uh, they had uh, like like several teams in, in this league, but uh, I think especially they had a lot of injury issues on the offensive line. Um, three guys that got starting experience ended up uh, with season-ending injuries. Uh, one of those, Jared Williams, the right tackle, actually uh, was able to come back for a sixth year, was, was granted a sixth year. So uh, hopefully if those guys come back healthy, they'll have some depth uh, you know, we're able to build some depth uh, through some of those injuries issues last year. And, and uh, as Xavier said, you know, maybe De'Ara King uh, leaving was uh, a little bit of a, 
silver lining and in, in that Clayton Toon did get that starting experience, is able to come back, and and uh, maybe they're able to, to take a big jump because of that. I've heard great things about their secondary. I mean, they, they've hit the transfer portal hard, and by my count, uh, five, no, six guys uh, in their secondary uh, who are expected to play pretty you know, pretty big uh, amount of playing time this year are coming out of the transfer portal, including a couple of projected starters. So, um, you know, it'll it'll be interesting to see how they put all those guys on the field. Or are they going to potentially maybe make one of those guys, maybe a Deontay Anderson who's listed at 220 pounds or, or Thabo um, Moniki, I'm I, Probably screwed that up. I apologize. No, uh, also, two hundred exactly plus pounds. Said. <laughs> you know, maybe those maybe those guys play a little bit more of a linebacker role. Uh, they traditionally only have two uh, linebackers on the field at, at one time. But you know, you want to put your your best guys out on the field, and you've got a, a pretty strong secondary and, and some depth at that position. Some really talented guys. So maybe you know some of those bigger. Uh, players might have maybe grown out of a safety role or, or what have you. Maybe you're able to move into uh, more of a linebacker role. It'll be interesting to see if, if Holgerson and his coaching staff are, are going to implement guys like that. But I think Houston certainly could take a step forward. I'm a little bit concerned at their schedule. Uh, they do play Memphis uh, on the road. They play at Navy. They play at Cincinnati. And they play at SMU. And they host UCF. So SMU doesn't play UCF, but Houston uh, plays all you know everybody, uh, including UCF, and, and that's going to be pretty difficult. So uh, I, you know, maybe the the record doesn't look much better, but they're a better team. I think that's certainly possible. But they're probably a team that can challenge for a bowl game. But I think the schedule might just be a little too difficult to really you know make a, a huge jump up the standings. But you know. The AAC is a conference that uh, sort of the, the middle of the pack is there's room to maneuver. There's room to operate. And, and they certainly uh, being, you know, they returned the, the third most production uh, overall in college football, according to Bill Connolly's numbers. So that's that's certainly uh, that's something, you know, that that makes you think they're going to be a good bit better. Similarly, East Carolina at the you know bottom end of our ratings in the conference is the fourth most experienced team as far as returning production. We were pretty high on East Carolina. Uh, Mike Houston, their head coach, came in with a, a pretty highly rated head coach rating because he had been in at uh, James Madison, won a national championship, had been taking those FCS results into more of a uh, more uh, factored those into the ratings more in the past than we do now. So his, his head coach rating took a hit partly because of last year's results, but partly because he's not getting huge credit for uh, those James Madison, James Madison results uh but they're at the at the bottom end but they're very very experienced i could see them potentially making a move um tulane i'm i'm a little worried about because they're at the opposite end of the spectrum as far as returning production 122nd uh like you mentioned before they're one of the only teams that doesn't return a starting quarterback and it seems that they're not happy with the quarterbacks that are available on the roster they tried to get uh, Jet Duffy from Texas Tech as a grad transfer. That didn't work out. Sounds like they're still sort of out there looking. They did get some good news. Uh, running back 
Corey Dauphine was uh, granted a, a six year of eligibility. So he's going to come back and, and probably share carries with Amari Jones, who's one of the more exciting uh, sort of multi-purpose uh, offensive players in the conference. And they caught a, a couple of big time transfers as well. They're probably uh, going to be starters. Michael Jones, wide receiver from Oklahoma, wouldn't be surprised if, if he's a starter. Uh, and then on defense, Kevin Henry was a, uh, at Oklahoma State. Linebacker is probably going to start it at uh, Tulane. And, and Kyle Myers at Florida State, who actually made 10 starts for the Seminoles uh, as a grad transfer, he's going to step in probably and, and be a day one starter at corner. So I wouldn't be surprised if Tulane adds a couple of more pieces, maybe even a quarterback. Uh, but until they get that sort of settled, um, I, I don't see them sort of making a, a step forward. I think they would probably be fortunate to get back to bowl eligibility. I think it's going to be uh, maybe, you know, pretty difficult for them just based on the amount of experience coming back. And they also have a, a pretty uh, difficult schedule, have to go to Houston, to UCF. They host Memphis and have a, a pretty tough uh, non-conference as well with trips to Northwestern and Mississippi State. So uh, Navy is a wild card. Temple is a wild card. Both of those teams have had success, but both of them are, are highly inexperienced. Lost some key players to transfer. Temple especially. Quincy Roche was one of the top pass rushers in all of college football. Transferred to Miami. Uh, would have been, you know, probably a, a day two, maybe day three uh, NFL draft pick if he had left school early, but uh, decided to just transfer instead. So a lot of turnover. It'll be interesting to see how those shake out. USF and, and Tulsa, just to, to run the gamut here, um, both of those teams are talented. Tulsa, especially on offense, has a lot coming back. Uh, the quarterback position, running back position, they rank among the best in the conference. Both of those are top 30 units, uh, according to our numbers nationally. 28th at quarterback and 11th at running back, just one spot behind Memphis uh, for second in the AAC. So, Tulane could could do some good things, but or Tulsa, excuse me, could do some good things. But the offensive line is one of the lowest rated in the country in the triple digits, and they're also triple digits defensive line and, and in the secondary. So it's going to be it's going to be difficult. But uh, there's a lot of fun teams. I could see this, you know, could see these standings working out many, many, many different ways. After that, top three or four, uh, we could see a complete jumble in that second tier. I'm with you on that. Xavier, what do you think of the uh, second to bottom tier of the AAC here? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, be positive, uh, Xavier. Come on. We need some no, positivity. I, I, I was going to be positive. I, I think with that, that big sigh, at... you were going to be positive. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. You know, you, you start off good cup, bad cup. You start off with a sigh and you start with positive. <laughs> uh, you know, I think that when you look at the bottom of the AAC, the first team that comes to mind is obviously Navy. I think that when you look at this Navy team, they're the only team in the bottom half of the AAC outside of USF who brings back more than four starters on defense. Uh, excuse me, East Carolina. But most importantly, they're going to lose a lot of production at the quarterback position. So I don't know if – I know we have them at seven for our initial power rankings, but I don't know if they're that high, Nick. I don't think that they are a team that is going to be – uh, able to continue what they did last year or even get close. Um, obviously, losing that production at the quarterback position is going to be huge for them, as he was pretty much the offense at times last year. So I don't know if seven is somewhere where I'd have them. Temple is a team that I like a lot. 
simply because last year Temple was a team that I didn't expect much for, uh, expect much from, excuse me. Um, but they really showed me that at least defensively last year, they could compete with anybody in the country. I mean, they beat Memphis. Uh, obviously, they were one of Memphis. They were Memphis's only loss last year. Um, they competed with Cincinnati later on in the year, you know, in a, in a complete slugfest, 15-13. But now that offense is coming around, something they didn't have last year, you know, and they couldn't compete in the shootouts with a team like SMU or with a team like UCF. And I think that if they can do that, they're going to be a team that isn't a, a cakewalk. You know, and I think Temple is going to be somebody who definitely scares you on their schedule, depending on when you meet them. And they're a team that you can't look over or you will lose to them. Um, so that's that, that's Temple for me. USF, I'm hoping that they get back to, to you know, uh, a better standard than they were last year. I don't know. They bring back a lot of talent from last year's team, but is that necessarily a good thing? Um, you know, and they start their year off with Texas. So I guess we'll learn a lot from them in week one. Um, Scott definitely will. Um, I don't know how good USF will be uh, simply because they left such a bad taste in my mouth going from last year. that I don't know if they have the, uh, if I'm going to give them any kind of leeway going into next season. I know they returned a lot of production, but that production didn't show up last year and we thought they were going to go 10 and two. So I had, I have no clue. Um, Tulsa is a team that competed well last year throughout the season. Um, they, they had some big wins, like we talked about earlier, beating uh, or some close games, excuse me, when talking about their loss to SMU in overtime. Um, and they're, they're a team that they're going to put up points. Tulsa has been putting up points for a very long time. That defense is always my biggest worry. Bringing back only forward starting starters on defense is going to be an issue for them throughout the year. And I don't know if they have enough offensive power, even bringing back nine starters to be able to, to withhold uh, a bad defense. And then we get down to the bottom, East Carolina. The Are they the new bye week now that UConn's gone? Uh, <laughs> they might be. I mean, we'll, we'll you know, have to I, see. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. East Carolina, for me, is a team that, if you see them on the schedule, especially last year, you kind of just yawned. Um, you know, I, I think that they'll compete better than what they did last year. Um, and, and that's based purely off of the fact that uh, – they're bringing back six starters on offense and defense, you know, and I, and I think that when you do that and you'll be better, even in the slightest, even if it's not a huge increase on their win total last year, which was <clears throat> only four games, they might be able to scoot in, maybe get five on their schedule. You know, they play Georgia, uh, they play Georgia state, which is going to be a fun game. Uh, but I don't know if they have an opportunity to make it to a bowl game. And that's how I look at that team. Uh, and I, I, I just don't know. They they have they played so poorly in some games last year that I'm not ready to go out on a limb and say they're going to finish six and six. So, yeah, I mean the AAC is going to be uh, an extremely interesting division for sure. Nick, did we miss anything or did we cover it all? No, I think I think that's pretty much it. I mean, there's there's like everywhere right now, and and even more than more than is often the case. There's so many unknowns. I mean, we don't know necessarily what will happen between now and the start of the season, uh, just with, with the world. So, uh, a lot of things could potentially impact the, the season, but you know, if everything goes according to plan, even then there's, there's a lot of room for, uh, many different scenarios in the AAC. I mean, there, you know, uh, we saw Temple beat Memphis last year and Temple wasn't particularly great you know they were they were dangerous but they uh were capable of of beating even though it was controversial uh the the top team 
in the league and, and, you know, East Carolina scared a team or two at times. So uh, they'll probably play a lot of shootouts if they can uh, cobble together, you know, a, a front seven. Uh, they've got a lot of turnover on the, of the defensive line. Uh, but if they're able to, to step up a little bit uh, defensively, then even they, I think, could be could be dangerous. So this is a, a conference where, uh, maybe with the exception of that top three that, that we've often referenced, you wouldn't be absolutely shocked if anybody beat anybody else. So uh, usually that's a, a recipe for a lot of really fun uh, Saturdays. So, so hopefully it'll work out that way. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Remember, you can find us all on the Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. And Nick, what uh, conference are we doing next week? Mountain West. Mountain West time. All right. That's going to be a fun one. So MWC. Yep. Stick <laughs> stick with us. And uh, hopefully you guys are enjoying all the podcasts and all the, uh, you know, creatives and all that good stuff that are happening for you. You know, may, hopefully you found some good shows on Netflix and all that good stuff, too. So, uh, you know, uh, take it easy, relax, and wash your hands. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. <laughs> You can support this podcast on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge to join as a tier one supporter and pledge $5 per month to help ensure the long-term health of the show. For a larger contribution, tier two patrons receive access to view the CFB Winning Edge FBS team profiles. Tier three patrons have the ability to download and save a copy of the FBS team profiles for personal use. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or reach out to us on Twitter to learn more.